Hi, welcome to this episode of Author Eke. I'm Travis Davis, your host. Tell us your story. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Author Eke. On this episode, I am very privileged to have John Wynn Miller, who is an accomplished author, editor, reporter, you name it, and also finalist for the Pulitzer Surprise. So, John, take it away. To tell everybody about yourself. What they already don't know, because, I, I mean, you've done a lot. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me first. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I'm a Kentucky native, grew up in uh, Kentucky, and then uh, ended up being a foreign correspondent in based in Rome for the uh, AP and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, returned home, was a reporter, investigative reporter here in Lexington uh, for the local paper, and was part of a team that uh, wrote a series on education that actually led to a huge reform of education and was a Pulitzer finalist, won uh, the top award from investigative reporters and editors and from the Society of Professional Journalists. Then I moved on and became uh, the head editor at newspapers in State College, Pennsylvania, Tallahassee, Florida. And then I was promoted again to publisher of newspapers in Olympia, Washington, and then Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, I think you've been every degrees of a compass. Yeah, yeah, I have. There, I have been to more places than I haven't. I think uh, some Antarctica. Points. Antarctica is the only continent I have not been on yet. Uh, yeah, and, and then uh, after when the newspaper business went in the toilet back. Uh, 2008, 2012, something like that, uh, I took a buyout and decided uh, I wanted to learn how to write screenplays. And so the problem was I had nothing to write about. Uh, And the the funny thing was um, I was watching a TV show with my daughter, who is now an actress on TV, uh, and uh, we were watching some terrible action adventure movie and i kept saying i know i can write a better screenplay than this <laughs> exactly so that night uh i went to bed and believe it or not i had a dream and in that dream when i woke up the next day i knew the first scene of the screenplay the last scene and the name of the ship the peggy c which became the hunt for the peggy c which mm-hmm. was a screenplay uh-huh. and I actually got some traction. I got some meetings in Hollywood, uh, wrote some other screenplays, wrote a TV pilot with my brother, who is a film editor Mm -hmm. and a director named uh, John Harrison, who directed Dune and uh, Children of Dune for sci-fi, none of which sold. So uh, I put it aside for years. And then when I did retire, uh, I decided you know, I think I'll write a novel. I've never done it. Mm-hmm. and But the reason I became a journalist was because I wanted to learn how to write novels. So oh, 30 wow. years later, COVID hits. I've got a screenplay. Well, let's see if I can turn it into a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, problem is, and we can talk about this later, <laughs> writing a novel is very different from writing journalism or from even writing screenplays. Mm-hmm. So I had to 
learn how to do that. I took some classes. I read a million books, watched mm -hmm. videos. So uh, I finished the hunt for the Peggy C. Um, finally sold it to a publisher, uh, Bancroft Press, and it came out last November. Okay. Uh, and when I originally turned it in, the publisher said, you need to just keep writing. So I said, okay. So I actually wrote the sequel, finished it, and it'll come out next year. Mm -hmm. And I'm three quarters of the way through the third volume. Uh, so I write just pretty much every day right. and just keep right. plowing along. As you well, know, it's, just a, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I do the same thing. I try to do 1,000 to 1,500 words a day. Because, Whoa! Yeah. Then, <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. You are I can for, knock them out. I can knock yeah, them out. No, I can't. I, and then, uh, but I'm still trying to market the other books, right? So it's – and then some days you don't. Some days you're like, okay, I, you know, if I'm happy to get 500 or yeah. whatever. But if I start writing a scene, I want to complete the scene because I have it all in my head that I need to get it out. That's well, spectacular. Yeah. Well, my method is, is I know the beginning and the end and a mm -hmm. few scenes in the middle, and I have a general idea – who the characters are, but right. I end up writing a bio of all the major characters. Mm -hmm. And I I don't put any pressure on myself. I sit down on the computer every day and I spend a lot of time research. Yes. Uh, because uh, it, it's historical fiction and uh, it, I want it to be accurate. Right. And both the technology and the history, because it takes place in World War II involves an American smuggler who struggles to rescue a Jewish family from uh, Nazi-occupied Amsterdam on his mm -hmm. cargo ship, mm -hmm. which outrages his mutinous crew of misfits and triggers a hair-raising chase by a, a brutal U-boat captain bent on revenge. So I had to learn all of that stuff. You got to learn a whole uh, new vernacular, whole new terminology, whole way of speaking. Because I I come from an army background. And yeah. So I'm writing a book that has some naval components. I'm like, now I got to say skipper. <laughs> I got to say uh, the galley, and I, you know, all these different vernaculars that you use. But you're right. You know, writing fiction. There is a tremendous amount of research in there because you want to make what you put in there either factually true from a historical perspective, right. or when somebody reads it, they're going, eh, I, I believe that. We can have, do we have that? You know, do we have that already? I just don't know. So, yeah. Perspective. So, I'll, I'll spend, you know, I may write 250 words, I may mm -hmm. get up to 500, I may do no words and just do, um, uh, research. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the problem with doing research is it's fun. So I'll discover something interesting and then I'll go down a rabbit hole saying, Oh, well, yeah. let me follow that down. Well, there's exactly. more interesting stuff. And before you know it, the day is shot. I've got, you know, maybe some few good details out of that, but, yeah. uh, but I knew, you know, people ask me, why did you write about a submarine U boats and World War II? And again, it was the dream. I, it picked me. And so oh, wow. I've never been on a U-boat. I've never been on a cargo well, that's ship. That's good. <laughs> uh, and, there's one in San Francisco you can get on. And, well, on there's the one there. And the, there's a museum in Chicago that has yes, uh, a very right. the U-505 that's very similar to what uh, I've described my my villain's U-boat is. But it happened during COVID, so I couldn't mm -hmm. go up. So I've watched uh, videos of it. I've read yep. about it. 
there are some very cool websites. There's one called uboat.net that is dedicated to everything U-boat. Oh, so wow. you can uh, find out where every U-boat was every day of the war, what ships got sunk, where, bios of all the U-boat captains. And then I, I even found another site called uboataces.net mm-hmm. or .org uh, or U-boat archives where you can read in English the the logs of all of the U-boat captains, uh, their daily war logs, where we are, what the that moon would be is. Interesting because you're getting their thought process, right? Yeah. Uh, what what do they do the things they did? Exactly. And they they report a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things like the weather, what they saw, how you know, any repairs, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was so obsessed with getting things right that I found diaries for the days that corresponded with every day of my voyage. It's a 3,000 mile chase. Uh, so I could tell you exactly what the moon phase was that day. So when I wrote a scene and the U-boat comes up, I know if it's a you know a new moon or a full moon. Exactly. Uh, that That's how obsessive I got with the research. Well, <laughs> what I found out too, by, by doing all the research and learning things, that nobody wants to talk to me at parties anymore because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have That's all this. Like, uh, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. I am kind of a know-it-all. Yeah, so I, I te- yeah. You just have all this knowledge. You want to tell somebody and they're like, okay. well, I, I tell people that when you finish the hunt for the Peggy C, you will know how to sail a U-boat oh, because wow, I go, cool. I go into that much detail uh how the firing system for mm. the uh torpedoes mm. the the 8.8 uh centimeter uh, cannon that they have on the front mm. um how they they don't really have sonar or radar right uh, how they communicate uh, it's in in that mm. little tiny tin can what i want you to feel smell and hear what it's like for the right. the sailors who are in there. Same thing with the tramp steamer, mm-hmm. uh, which is just this old rusty cargo ship that mm-hmm. goes from port to port uh, looking for cargo. They don't have a set schedule. And so that's why my hero, guy named Captain Jake Rogers, uh, is a smuggler. That's the way he makes his money. And he ended up there because, well, People are not sure how an American ended up with an American ship still neutral. This takes place before D-Day okay. uh, in Europe. And the rumor is, is that he fled America because of a rumor uh, of a murder that he oh. was involved in. And they know he was had something to do with U.S. Naval Academy, that he had fled there. And he's been in Europe for 20 years. And uh, no one hmm. no one double crosses him. The, he's a tough guy. Right, but, right. With a twist, he he's brain he's more brainy than brawn. He's right. a big tough guy, but he's a huge reader. And his cabin is lined with books of all the naval classics and right. other books. So, I had to learn a whole lot in order to do that. I was in. Uh, I spent nine years in Europe in, the, in Germany in the army, and I actually went to the very movie uh, studio where Das Boot was filmed. Oh really? And oh, it's interesting be- because it's it's just like a pool, like a like yeah. a pool, and it has a a little model that's you know scale. Yeah. But it was amazing to see uh, the cinematography and everything went in to that to that movie because that is a fantastic. 
fantastic movie. It, uh, it, and so it I think it's one of the, you know, the first modern era World War II movies about a, a U-boat. Yeah. Typically, they were about you know our our boats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interestingly, I had to be careful uh, with the possible exception of Das Boot, which mm-hmm. I watched years ago, but mm-hmm. I consciously did not rewatch it while I was writing because right. I didn't want to steal anything in right. the scenes, right. uh, and I didn't trust the technology of any of the the movies I've seen. They've all mm-hmm. riddled with. Uh, anachronisms mm-hmm. or with the wrong technology, you know, the little things like right. when you fire a torpedo on a U-boat, the captain never says fire mm-hmm. because uh, that indicates the ship's on fire, on fire. and everybody <laughs> panics. You know, they, they, they go torpedoes los, which means torpedoes away. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so if you, if you ever see a, a movie where they say fire on anybody's ship, that's, that's, that's not true. Uh, That's interesting. I never thought of that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And there's a lot of little details that even I just recently watched Das Boos because I I loved the movie. But even then, I discovered a bunch of little technical problems, things they did that were not accurate uh, to what my research had showed is the way things would would be. Um, That's why I can't watch Army war movies because I look at their ribbons. I go, they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I uh, I studied the ribbons that, and medals that uh, mm. the U-boat captains or the head of the U-boats, uh, Admiral uh, Dunant's, mm. uh, because I wanted to be able to describe them accurately and understand what yeah. they were. So, um, so the movies were fun. Uh, like you, some of the movies. I think there's one U five seventy one. Maybe even Michael McConaughey or something. Oh, I saw like that. that one. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. It's yeah. just, it's just <laughs> completely inaccurate. So one of the things I did do, a couple of mm-hmm. things, uh, is when I finished, I had a, my college roommate was in the Navy, was a, mm-hmm. an officer. So I had him read it for any mistakes. And then I hired uh, a former naval or um warrant officer for a, a, an American submarine mm-hmm. who's also an author mm-hmm. uh, and a Matt uh, Zola who mm-hmm. writes historical novels like I do and he read it and he uh, corrected some of the little things I never would have guessed right uh, you know little things like uh, you can't whistle on a ship I had a character walking around whistling he said you can never do that Wow. Because they're waiting for instructions. <laughs> well, they are because the instructions come from the bosun's pipe. Yeah. You know, you hear that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're whistling, that, that that could confuse people. And so you never whistle. So I had them hum instead of whistle. Right. And that there's a difference between saying I and I, I, Captain. Uh, ah. If you're given a standard order, like, uh, you know, helm, uh, 35 degrees in, right. uh, you know, uh, all ahead half or something mm-hmm. like that. That's a standard order. So you'll just say I, which right. means I'll comply. But if he's giving you an order that uh, is not a standard order, say, I want you to do this and then that, you say I, I, which means uh, I understand and I will comply. So oh, okay. I, 
I had to go through the whole book of what he fortunately went through for me and switched them so I would mm-hmm. get that accurate. Um, and he That's also corrected some of my steering instructions uh, because I'm, I'm not a sailor and I could read about what they should be. Right. But uh, That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, that, that, yeah, that detail. That, that's yeah. Historical fiction, you want it to be historically accurate, but with a fictional story. Yeah, like, you want drama. Believable. Like, yeah, believable. Uh, and that's the another thing I did in the research. Uh, a lo- lot of the action scenes I have are, are based on real action scenes mm-hmm. because I didn't want it to be just wacky i wanted mm-hmm. something that was plausible that right. had happened and i you know i may have exaggerated it some or i would combine real historical events you have been to hollywood <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so I, I wanted to make sure that um it, it anyone a sailor or anyone else reading it and they wanted mm-hmm. to double check what i wrote right they would, I could plausibly say that, hey, this may sound crazy, but it actually mm-hmm. happened in this case. Right. So the, my villain is, uh, uh, the U boat captain is Victor Brower. And he's actually based on three different U boat captains who did particularly nasty things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I could uh, create the motivation for why he is so obsessed with catching the, the Peggy C. Uh, ah. And why he was willing to disobey orders, uh, or, or sneakily disobey orders, right, 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 in, in order to chase uh, Captain Rogers and the and the Peggy C. Yeah, they didn't have an infinite amount, infinite amount of fuel on those things, right? I mean, those were diesel subs; they're not the nuclear power. They had to come up for air for the batteries and yeah, all sorts of stuff. Well, in uh, Admiral Dunitz, who created the U-boat force, would always say that we're not—they're not submarines; they're diving vessels right. because they can only stay under water twenty-four, forty-eight hours, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, before the battery acid starts leaking and poisonous chlorine gas into the U-boat. There's a scene about <laughs> that in in Das Boot, uh, uh, which was pretty accurate. Uh, so. Th- they they typically they like to attack on the surface because they can move at 17 knots. Mm-hmm. They can maneuver faster. They can use their cannon as well as their uh, torpedoes. Underneath, mm-hmm. uh, submerged, they can only go seven knots, which is slower than the slowest exactly. ancient uh, ship. Right. Uh, That's like current speed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... And and you have to use your uh, batteries uh, mm-hmm. up. They have like 264 batteries lined across the bottom. But those run out because you're not only running the engine, but you're running the filtration system mm-hmm. to take the carbon dioxide out of the, the, the air and, and breathe in new air. Mm-hmm. So you have to surface if you want to recharge the batteries. You, and the, live. The, yeah, and live. <laughs> and the diesels have to be running to, uh, and they can't operate under water. At least they couldn't for the first large part of the war. Towards the end, they figured out a snorkel system to so they could just barely be over the surface and recharge huh. the the batteries. It seems like they put like a some kind of pipe or something that would pipe fresh air into the 
sub or wherever the compartment is and recycle that out another yep. one like a heat pump. Uh, yes. Uh, and they actually did that towards the end of the war. The problem is in order to do that, you would have to be pretty close to the surface. 14 meters, you know, like 14, 15 yards is uh, periscope depth. Right. And that's where you would have to be, which makes you a little bit more vulnerable. Um, oh, yeah. Depth charges and just. Yeah. Uh, depth charges. Stuff. Uh, and the Allies did, they had primitive form of sonar uh, called ASDIC that could sort of find the mm -hmm. submerged vessels. Mm -hmm. uh, and they also depended on audio to find them. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, uh, the, the technology was really pretty primitive. Um, that's interesting. I mean, that's very, very realistic, right? It's, you, know, it's, you know, it's like, uh, almost like you're reading a history novel or a maintenance manual of a, yeah. of a sub, right? Yeah. But then it has the human touch, the story behind it. Why is it doing these things? Or even the uh, the merchant vessel, right? Uh, and the, yeah. Uh, and all that stuff. So I had a question. Were you in Italy when the prime minister was uh, kidnapped and, and, and killed? No. I I, I came Moro, shortly I after that. Moro, yeah. Aldo yeah, Moro, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I had been there uh, as an intern for an English language newspaper uh, right before that happened, when the Red Brigades kidnapped yes. him and, and put him in a trunk. Yeah. Uh, and then I came back right after that uh, for the AP, uh, and uh, the Red Brigades were still pretty active. Yep. Pope John Paul II had just been shot. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up covering the trial of the Turk who shot the Pope, uh, oh, wow. Mehmet, Mehmet Ali Aja. And, and the Pope uh, uh, forgave him. I remember that. Yeah, we I went with I went with Pope John Paul II into the prison where he forgave yeah. uh, the, the Turk who shot him, who was insane. I mean, absolutely insane. Right. Um, and no one was convicted in that trial because he was so insane it made just Nothing made sense. Yeah, put him away somewhere. I, yeah. I, I remember when I was in Germany, late 70s, uh, the Biden-Meinhof gang was yeah. big, which was, I guess, an offshoot or affiliated or the same thing as the as, as the Red Brigade, right? The, yeah, yeah. Back at that time, when terrorism was just you know, rampant from a from state perspective, like Germany, you know, they had theirs and Italy had theirs and France had theirs and yeah. Northern yeah. Ireland and everything. It was just crazy back then. But I, I love Italy. I've been a few times and uh, I've been to the Vatican. Amazing, amazing place. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, just amazing. Yeah. So where's your favorite place? Wow. I hate to put you on a spot. <laughs> just in case you have I, to go back somewhere else. I, yeah, no, I know. I loved Rome. Uh, it was utter chaos to live there, uh, but the people were so nice. The food was great. Everything was exciting. Every time you walked around a corner, it was something, you know, a thousand years old that was right. new to you. That was yes. exciting. Um, my daughter was born there. Uh, she, uh, she's as I mentioned, she's an actress, mm -hmm. and uh, when sometimes when they write profiles of her. They'll say Italian-born actress Allison Miller, you know, as if she changed her name, which is not wrong. <laughs> no, it's technically right. So they think she's Italian, uh, which she's blonde and blue-eyed and <laughs> little tiny. Thing. So she's Northern Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's true. 
Uh, <laughs> but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, it was it was hard because there was a lot of terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, my I had a terrible uh, incident where my boss's daughter was murdered by terrorists. It, oh my she was goodness. they were in the Rome airport when the terrorist Palestinians oh, attacked that. it. Yeah. And he he was shot. His son was shot. His daughter was killed. Um, and, uh, and I had to cover that as a reporter. So wow. that 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 kind of cut the fun out a little bit. Well, I was uh, in the army, and I had a guy that I worked with whose dad worked for Aramco Oil back in for a long time. Um, this is uh-huh. an he was on the Achilles Laurel. <laughs> it, okay. But but here's the strange thing. There were there, the port of call before he was told to get off the ship. Oh my God. And then, Why? That, well, he worked for Ramical Oil. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. High up, not yeah. uh, who's up there. And yeah. he was taking, you know, got off the ship. And next thing you knew, the thing was hijacked. You want to know a funny coincidence? Guess who the second reporter to get on the Achilles Laurel when it docked was? Me, you, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, when it was uh hijacked, I was with the AP and mm-hmm. they sent me to Genoa mm-hmm. where the uh, ship was going to dock and it docked. Um, and there were police holding everybody back, uh, and there was one gangplank, maybe three or four stories high, mm-hmm. and they were just going to let the relatives on. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching that. And then I noticed the reporter for the New York Times, uh, uh, John Taliabui, was walking a little old lady by the elbow across the gangplank as if he was a relative. And so the oh. worst thing that can happen to a reporter is to get scooped. So if he got on there and he could file a story, I would never hear the end of it. So I grabbed mm-hmm the elbow of a little old lady and started walking across. Now <laughs> the problem is John is of Italian descent and looks uh-huh. Italian. I do not even look like an American. They think I'm right. French because I'm too small. Yeah. So the police were furious. They grabbed me or the crew grabbed me, raised me up and held me over the rail as if they were going to throw me off. And this is three or four stories up. Oh, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, and fortunately, a police officer grabbed me and shoved me back into the boat. And here's how stupid it is when you're a foreign correspondent. You take huh. risks you don't need to do. Ten minutes later, they let all the reporters on. <laughs> <laughs> and this Wait, was did you wait the, nine more minutes? <laughs> yeah, if I just waited. And the, the, the silly part is, is there, there were no cell phones back then. So right. there was no way for me to file a story from that mm-hmm. ship. I would have to take my notes, run off the ship, find a phone, call long distance. Um, so, but it's funny you had mentioned the Achilles Laurel. So I was a part of that. I, I sometimes feel with like useless knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't ask me where my car keys are. <laughs> <laughs> or well, I'll be on my phone. I go, where's my phone? You know? That, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I am. Uh, I am suffering from that too. But. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, What's the name of the book again? It's called The Hunt for the Peggy C. Where can uh, we get it's it? available on Amazon uh, or Kobo. or uh, 
any place, no Barnes and Noble, any place you buy books, it's on Audible, um, and uh, it's uh, on Kindle and hardback. Uh, paperbacks coming out later this year, maybe next year. Okay. I'm not sure when. Okay, uh, and and so how do you market your book? Did your publisher market for you, or how do you how do you get it out? Because it's tough. I, yeah, it's, it's very, very tough. Well, I joined a bunch of organizations to try to learn it, how to the Authors Guild. Mm, I got uh, that. And then I went to a website called readsy.com, mm-hmm. which is where I hired my editor from, but they also have a bunch of things on marketing. Uh, uh, then I found some books on how to market. Um, I tell you, and I tried just about everything. I even hired a PR firm for mm-hmm. uh, the first few weeks it's very expensive but they got me a lot of decent right. publicity uh, my publisher did uh, do a lot of uh marketing he paid for reviews on kirkus and uh which is not other... cheap folks no it's it not is cheap. not cheap <laughs> um but then i i entered contests mm-hmm. some of which i i did pretty well in right. uh the clive cussler adventure writers Word I was the sem- one of my most favorite authors because I can read one of his books and be immersed in it, but knowing that a bunch of it, bunch of stuff in there is ain't no way. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, but they, they are so enjoyable. You know, yeah, from the different. Uh, but I think there's four different different books of Clive Kessler. Not yeah, how many he wrote. But yeah, ones, series. Right? Yeah, yeah, the different series, and uh, my um, I remember in the army, I was I read Hunt for Red October, and I was like, man, I'm gonna join the Navy. I want to be submarines. I figured, oh, I'll lose the rank. I go, eh. that was that was that. actually Tom uh, Clancy's first. Tom, oh no, Tom, I like him. So I like I think Robert Ludlum, uh, Clive Cussler, Tom Clancy, or the, yeah. My first book I remember ever really reading was The World According to Garp. Really, that yes. was a, a brilliantly written, yes. just spectacular language. Yes. And funny thing is, that I tried when I s- tried to write a novel. Mm. Uh, I tried to write like other novelists, mm. and like him, John, uh, not John Grisham. It's uh, oh my god, I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, or like John Le Carre or uh, others. I would try to write like them, and it didn't work. I'm not that kind of writer. I'm, right, I'm right. not. I'm not Faulkner. So right. I had to go back and rewrite and tell the story kind of like a journalist mm-hmm. on steroids. I mean, a little bit right. more. So I, you know, I, I had to learn how to write, but marketing, uh, I, I entered book contests, uh, uh, bought reviews from reputable mm-hmm. uh, companies right. that I could use uh, as, and I got, uh, one of the things I did before the book came out is I emailed a bunch of authors who wrote similar type books and begged mm-hmm. them to give me a blurb. Um, wow. And it was surprising. Many of them did. And mm-hmm. they read the book and they really liked it. <laughs> so that, right. that, that was, you know, that the added bonus was they actually liked the book that they were giving me blurbs for. Excellent. So that, that was useful. And then, uh, you know, I've tried advertising. Uh, I, the, the on Amazon I don't find it very I I done more no I don't think it does I don't think Facebook works I don't think TikTok nope I don't think the Amazons I, no. I think it it just doesn't work I don't know why I, I've never tried it 
I will tell you a couple that do work, and mm. I was surprised. Uh, there's a site called BookBub. Uh, yes. And uh, what the way I can tell it sells is I learned how to do uh, Amazon attribution. So you can go on your site on Amazon and you can create a link that you can then use on other sites and it will tell you. So I created a BookBub link. Mm-hmm. And when I uh, bought advertising there, uh, I could see it got 600 clicks, but then I could look at Amazon attribute attributes 600 clicks 43 sales i couldn't see and then i did the same thing with facebook i could see the number of clicks two sales so mm-hmm. i knew okay bookbub actually works right uh the other service that i used uh that actually drove a lot of sales is called uh book lover uh book b o o k l u v e r.com it's a british mm-hmm. It's the largest British review site, hmm. and uh, I bought their newsletter, and I got a ton of clicks. I don't know if I got purchases. Right, right. But, yeah, you're right. Amazon, Facebook, I just haven't had much luck with any of them. There's uh, Book Tweeters. There's uh, Book Riot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've tried them all. And yeah. It, the best thing, uh, one another author told me, the best way to sell your first book is to write a second book. And, yeah, that's you know, that, yeah, that's that. what I did. Now, now I'm writing <laughs> the third, and yeah. they're they're not they're not sequels, right? They're they're the same right. characters, yeah. But they're independent. Where you, where you want to read the first, if you read the second, say how did this become a team? How do these people yeah. even originate? Right, and then right. The third, and I'm I'm kind of like you is, I'll write the beginning. And I know the end, and I'll write stuff that I'm, oh, or I'll put you know, bullets inside of it. Say I need to talk about this. Yep, yep. But I have to get the beginning right. Yep. To continue, or it doesn't make any sense. And mine, I have to line, make sure from a time perspective, everything lines up. Right. Right. Like two days is two days somewhere else. If I go down there, it's you no know, tomorrow. I mean, it can't can't be right. That that's the hardest thing that I have to do. I got like a timeline. I use a, a mind map. I don't outline. I do my yeah, mind outline. map of it. Now I do. Uh, I write uh, since I learned how to write screenplays. I know how to do a scene and build character mm. arcs. And the the thing is, I'm doing is I'm trying to build the tension. Every it's the further you get in the book, the more yeah. trouble they get in. And I typically will write my characters into a corner, and then so now how do I get them out? Right. So then I'd have to figure out a way to get them out. And by the time I get to towards the end of the book. It's the third act. Mm-hmm. The dialogue pretty much goes away. The scenes are shorter. The tension goes greater. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. threat becomes more and more. Uh, that's the only part that I actually will stop and kind of outline because right. I got to remember how am I going to exactly. tie all these strings together <laughs> exactly. and get out in a uh, with an ending that. Um, uh, a famous screenwriter, the guy uh, once said that the best ending is one that is uh, unexpected but satisfies right. the reader. Right. Um, it's logical. It gives right. them what they want, even though it's unexpected. It doesn't have to be a happy ending. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, the writing process, it's fun. It's some days it's just, it's agonizing because you're trying to work your way out of a corner or, mm-hmm. 
a puzzle or you remember, oops, I, <laughs> I forgot that. about this character. <laughs> what what happened yeah. to him? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've talked to people that have read the book and when he said, he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, at, at the beginning, you build it up and he goes, but the end of the book is so fast, yeah. right? You know, and he and I've talked in you know, multiple reviews and everything. It's a roller coaster at the end. Which yeah, that's what I want it to be, right? I want to build up. Yeah, to something. So uh, most people like what uh, majority of the people like what I write. Now, some criticism I've gotten is they call it author interruption because I want people to understand the history or the technology. Mm. I will at, in the middle of the action explain like the firing sequence for a torpedo or right. uh define some terms like I'm guilty where of did that. the term yeah and where did the term ton come from mm -hmm. uh you know a ship in tons actually doesn't me measure weight measures volume mm -hmm. and why does it measure volume so i i i get on the side of my editor will edit most of that out <laughs> so uh so for the second volume what i, I did is it, the second book involves a whole bunch of real characters including my characters and it's hard to tell which if you don't know the history which ones are real and which ones aren't so at the end mm. i put a what happened to them section and i oh. list all the real characters and give a little paragraph on what really happened to them and uh, i also and i don't think i can get away with this as a novelist uh i did cut a bunch of the background out of the second book and mm -hmm. put it at the end under heading background. That's and, tough. Background yeah. and characters, because you don't want to reintroduce the characters in your right. second or, or subsequent books because the people might have read the first one go, I already know that. How much do you put to where right. they make it interesting? Yeah. So I, I have a little, a few paragraphs of background of the first mm -hmm. book, The Hunt for the Peggy C. Here's how we got here. And then from the book itself, this book, the second book, I'll mm -hmm. take. Like I had a long section on Churchill's relationship with Ireland, troubled mm -hmm. relationship, really fascinating, but also really slow. <laughs> so right, right. I, cu I cut that out and put it at the back of the book in a section called background that if you want to read more about it, when you get to the end, it, you can read. Amazing. But in the in the book itself, I just kind of allude to why he had such a bad relationship with Ireland. Interesting. Interesting. So where can everybody get a hold of you? Uh, you, I'm on Facebook, uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, uh, I have a website called uh, www.johnwinmiller.com, to spell my name, J-O-H-N-W-I-N-N-Miller.com, um, and I think those are all the places that you can find. Me. <laughs> I think that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. Like Instagram and all this other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you go to my website, you can read a lot of the background. You can uh, read the reviews of the book, see the awards it's won. Uh, if I were smart, I would have a button. Well, you can order the book there, too. But I would have a button for let me know when the sequel is available. I need to yeah. do that. Now, there's a bunch of... I mean, just so much you can, you got to think outside the box, right? That's the thing is you got to think yeah. about something that maybe hasn't done from that. And that's why I created the podcast because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> I, may, I may still not. I may still yeah. not. Uh, that, uh, that's, none of us do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to start a Zoom meeting. I can do that. I can. Uh, yeah. 
I can talk. I know, you know, I've been around. I can talk about a bunch of silly stuff. Uh, John, it has been a privilege talking to you today, though. Man, I feel like I've just had some kind of history class. And, <laughs> <you know. laughs> no test, though. There's no test. Yeah, no, no quiz afterwards. <laughs> You're okay. No, <laughs> this <sorry>. is a- <laughs> so folks, go out there and check it. They're very interesting books. Go out, check out his book. And uh, I think you'll be impressed, especially if you do World War II, uh, anything with maritime, submarines, technology, that air. Uh, go out and check out his books and then uh, looking forward to it. So, uh, again, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Author Eke. There'll be another episode next week. Please stop by and Start your own story. We can't wait to hear it.